You guys okay? You guys awake? Yeah. Okay. I'm a little sleepy, I'll be honest. Yeah, I woke up early. <laughs> I couldn't go back to sleep. Um, I really want to thank the whole royal family. Uh, you guys are so awesome, man. I really feel a lot of love here, you know. And uh, just the hugs, and uh, I've seen you guys on Facebook for years. You know what I'm saying? Like, finally, I see you guys face to face. And uh, you guys just, you know, show so much love to me. And my wife, who's back there, the gorgeous girl right there with the camera. <laughs> my wife, Remy. And uh, <laughs> she's like, oh. oh. <laughs> Anyways, you guys, I'm just gonna, I'll try to keep this short. I'm going to speak from my heart, and uh, I hope this will encourage you. Um, well, we're here in America. I don't know if you guys know, we were missionaries to the Philippines for four years. And uh, that's when I started communicating with Pete. I even saw some of your videos while I was there in the Philippines. And I was so encouraged to see a bunch of people going out there and doing what, the, what this conference is all about to empower people that there's no special people. We're all special. Okay. And um, I really see, I've been to a lot of healing conferences, folks. And it really is that whole superstar thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you better get that guy to lay hands on you, get some of that, you know what I'm saying? And uh, what I see here, I just saw you guys go out yesterday, pray for people. I know some of you guys were shy, uh, but you guys went for it, and that took a lot of courage, and I commend you guys for that. Okay, even, where's that boy Nathaniel? Right there. Nathaniel was part of my team right there. See that little kid right there? <laughs> so cool to have him here, right? And uh, you guys just keep stepping out. Some of you guys were telling me we pray for people, they didn't get healed, then keep going. Right? Because in your mind, you're always going to think, well, what if they don't get healed so I won't pray? Then you won't see anything. If you want to see cancer healed, then you pray for people with cancer. You want to see legs grow out? It's not going to happen unless you step out and you pray for some legs to grow out. You know what I'm saying? Is that okay I'm talking like this? <laughs> I just don't see why I keep saying good all I'm saying all the time. Right? You know what I'm saying? Um, anyways, I love you guys. And um, my topic today, my topic, is I want to talk about identity. Because to me, honestly, that's where it starts. Because, like I said, I've been to so many healing conferences where I try to get the anointing, and then I go out and I heal a sick, and then I could pray for people for hours. And I did that for so many years. I got drained. And a lot of times I lived by guilt, too. You know what I'm saying? I'll be chilling at a restaurant, and then someone walks by on crutches, I didn't pray, I'm like, crap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I feel bad and like I'm such a disappointment. You know what I'm saying? Like those were the mindsets that I had. That's not freedom. Even if you're laying hands on a bunch of people and even if they're getting healed but you're living in, in this condemnation, folks. That's not freedom. And even if you're healing a bunch of people and they get healed and you don't experience love in your own heart, that's not freedom. Folks, what it really comes down to is knowing who you are. That's what it comes down to. Then you won't have to feel forced and be like, oh my gosh, should I pray for someone for today? You just do it because you want to help people. But it all starts from there. It all starts from knowing who you are. One of my favorite quotes, I won't be quoting the Bible all the time. I hope you guys are open to that. Okay, I love the Bible, but I'll be quoting stuff that's not from the Bible sometimes. We all read non-Christian books, right? One of my favorite quotes is from a poet. And he says, I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. I think about all the times when I was going to all these revivals and healing conferences 
and I would cry out and try to pray for the God out there to come down and pour out His Spirit and you would ask for God for more of His love as though it's not already there. I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. Folks, God is a lot closer to you than you think. A lot closer to you than you think. Now the question is, who are you? Or an even better question is, who are we? Because it's never about you or me, it's about us. It's not even about royal family, but it's about the family of God. Look at me, I'm one of the only Filipinos here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I look at all these different people come from Norway, Sweden, all these places. LA, as you can tell by the way that I talk, right? <laughs> but folks, I look at you people, we're all connected together. That if you hurt, I hurt. When you, we were laughing so much last night with the guys, we weren't even talking about the Bible, we were just laughing. And then I had to go to sleep because it was too much laughing. <laughs> I got that. But you know, I, I feel my friends, you know what I'm saying? I feel the connection, just talking with Raph, just silly stuff about animation, you know what I'm saying, breakdancing. Because who get rid of all the religious nonsense, folks. God is looking for people to live fully human. Whatever you enjoy, God enjoys. You going out and praying for people doesn't impress God more than you just spending time with your wife or playing basketball with your kids. Be yourself. If you don't even want to pray for people, then don't do it. Why would you go if you don't even feel like going? But if you know who you are, and you know the heart of God, that the heart of God is always for the other, it's most likely you'll go. And you'll do it because you want to. Is this making sense? All right, folks, that's it. Let's go. Conference is over. <laughs> folks, when I was growing up, Think about this. How many of you have ever felt stupid? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever felt dumb or inadequate? I have. How many of you have ever felt poor? How many of you have felt like a failure or a nobody? I have. I want you to think about that, folks. What happens when your parents or your friends or the voice in your head that tells you all those things, you're nobody, you're a failure, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're poor, you're inadequate. What happens when you start believing those things? You start identifying with every single label that is given to you. I'm telling you folks, we better be very careful with what you say to yourself, what you say to your spouse, what you say to your kids. People were coming up to me for healing yesterday I have this condition, I have that condition. Stop calling that condition. Stop saying the name. Those are, that's just a name that a doctor called it. All it is is just you just got to mess around with the energy in your body. Let the Holy Spirit heal you. But it's just a name. Cancer is just a name. So when you remove the name, cancer, oh my gosh, I got cancer. That's what brings fear. And all of a sudden you start identifying yourself. I'm the one with cancer. I meet all these people in church. Oh, I'm the one with fibromyalgia. I'm the one with MS. I'm the one with this. I'm, Okay, I understand that's what people have told you. It's just a name. Now you redefine your life. You redefine your body of what you want it to act like. It's making sense, folks? Okay? I don't sound mean, do I? <laughs> it's just the way I'm talking. When I was growing up in the church, I had all these 
it's not every church, folks, but sometimes I was taught that I was filthy, I was wretched, I'm a dirty sinner, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, boo-hoo me. Poor wretched me, I'm like a little worm. <laughs> folks, I want you to think about it. It's funny because so many Christians think that that's a good thing. That I'm nothing but a wretched sinner. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy, God. Folks, as a parent, if you went into your child's bedroom and you see your child saying, I'm nothing, I'm filthy, I'm dirty, I'm wretched, folks, how would that make you feel as a parent? Let me tell you something, folks. What's scary is when those children start to believe those things. But what's even more scary is the results that's going to happen once they start believing those things. There's a lot of self-loathing going on in the church that needs to stop. All the people that are putting their head down, you think you need to lift up your head. You're a child of God. A lot of people, you know, within the Christian community, we could call each other names, these negative labels, you're this, you're that, you're false this, you're false that. People could call you whatever you want. God calls you son. God calls you daughter. So what we don't need is that we do not need a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit, folks. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, pour out, pour out! As if God doesn't do it enough. Then you might as well blame God why people are not getting healed. What we don't need is a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What we need, folks, is a greater awakening to who you already are and to what you already have in Christ. You already stink and have it. All the stuff that you look for Pete or Tom or whoever, you already have it. All you need to do is think and renew your mind. And I can't give you what you already have. And all we're doing is just stirring it up. Tom tells you those. I could guarantee you, some of you guys who heard the stories of Tom's financial situation, that boosted your guys' faith. Because like, if that happened to him, that could happen to me. Because <laughs> I'm a child of God too. God, there's no favoritism with, for Tom. God shows no favoritism. If you want to make it even more funny, we're all God's favorites. You know what I'm saying? With all these labels that we've had. Now look at my hand, folks. Some of you guys already know this. You've seen my story. If you haven't heard about it, look out on the 700 Club. I share my story. I was born this way. Some of you probably never even knew this. When I was growing up, I was teased a lot. Kids could be pretty cruel, right? And what's interesting is that when I was a child, I started to identify with that. Hey, he's a kid with the one hand or whatever. And when I was getting older, I was like, dude, no girls want to like me, man, honestly. Like even if I try to get a nice haircut or whatever, I put on nice clothes, if they look at my hand, they probably won't like me. I honestly thought that for like most of my life. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> no, yeah, bad joke. Okay. I got my beautiful wife right there. That's <laughs> a joke. Thanks, Ralph. You know what I'm saying? No, but really, I started to identify myself with this hand because that's all that I thought about. Because it's, oh, okay, Josh is a nice guy, but I don't know about that. It's, that's what went on in my mind as a kid because that became me. Folks, don't let these things define you. Your looks, your career, none of those things define you. It's not what you do that determines who you are, it's who you are that determines what you do. See that, folks? This is interesting, if we could start thinking, not, not forgetting about all the external things. This is me, I'm this, I'm a healer, I'm a preacher. Who cares? You're a preacher one of these days and another day you're gonna be something else. That's not you. You're just doing different things. You're just a son. You're a daughter. You're a child of God. 
that has a lot of power, by the way. Because <laughs> child sounds like, oh, <laughs> but you have a lot of power in you. Now, when I want you to think about this whole idea of the mind, and I'll probably be speaking about this more on Thursday, when you think about all these labels that we have of feeling inadequate or poor or nothing or a wretched sinner or unworthy, think about this, folks. What you believe and how you perceive yourself, you will experience. What you believe and how you perceive yourself, you will experience. Now, let me clarify. What you believe and how you perceive yourself may not necessarily be true, but it will be your reality. You get what I'm saying? The Bible says in old school, Proverbs, as a man thinketh, as a man thinks, so is he. Earl Nightingale, this one author, I like what he said, you become what you think about most of the time. And if you constantly think of yourself as a nobody, or you're not going to be able to make it or do anything good in life, or you're ugly, or you're inadequate, like I said, guess what your life's going to be like? Or I'm not going to be able to heal because I'm not like so-and-so. You get what you believe. What you believe and how you perceive yourself, you will experience, you will live out. That's why, folks, we need to start renewing our minds. Now, what I love about my wife, right? For, the, for those of us who are married, just like you, congrats, bro. You know what I'm saying? For those of us who are married or in a relationship, like my friend Juan, is <laughs> like, don't you have those moments, guys, or even girls, where you look at your spouse, the one that you love, and you look in their eyes, and without even saying a word, you could see their value and their worth in your eyes, and you don't have to say anything. Isn't that true? But here's what's even more powerful, is that when you look into the eyes of the one that you love, and they look back into yours, and when they look back into your eyes, they could see the value and the worth that they have in your eyes. Now here's the big question. How does God see you now? But here's a better question. Do you see what God sees? Do you see what God sees? God is a good God. God is a good God. Folks, let me tell you the truth in spite of what we probably heard growing up from religious folks. Because what happens, right, is that we have something called the ego. It's our collective thoughts. You're stupid. You're nothing. You're not going to make it. You're poor. You're not a good husband. You're not a good father. You're not, but you, you, we hear that stuff, right? That's called the, the collective mind. That's called the ego. The religion can do the same way. You're nothing. Except by the grace of God. You're a worm. Let me tell you the truth. Right now, at this very moment, before you do anything, in spite of what you've done in the past, you are accepted by God now. Before you do anything. Because that's love. You and the person next to you, and every single person in this room, and every single person all over the world are unconditionally loved and already accepted by God. You belong to God. 
Would you ever just go up? You know, we went to some people that were smoking out and doing stuff out in the streets. I don't give a rip who, what they're doing. That's their business, right? So when I look at these people, would I go up to them and be like, dude, you're, you're crackhead? You know what I'm saying? It's like, God's not going to accept you unless you accept them into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior first. Would you do that? No, but theologically, that's what we've been taught. That God's not going to accept you until you accept Him first. Let me tell you what real love is. Is that when I look at a person's life, and it's so messed up, and they don't even believe in God, I can look at them and say, you know what? God accepts you. Your family abandons you. Everybody doesn't want you. God accepts you. And I'm telling you, it's once they find that identity, that they're already accepted by God, that gives them the power to change. But what Christians like doing is that, let's try to change them first. It doesn't start like that, folks. It's about knowing who you are. You love your wife. You keep talking about her, right? Imagine if you were just forced to love your wife because the Bible says. Just because the Bible says, what happens if you find another pretty lady? But you stay committed to your wife because I, you just love your wife. Because that's love. You are love. I'm not here to tell you, you know, teach you on how to be set free. Folks, you are free now. But we're always going from conference to conference and reading all these books because you're trying to be set free. Folks, you are free. It's the lies of religion that are telling you, no, you're not free until you do this, until you do that. You are free. That's it, man. I'm not here to teach you on how to become free. You are free. I'm not here to teach you on how to become holy. You are holy. I'm not here to teach you on how to become righteous. You're already righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of who He is. Folks, you don't become good by trying to become good. But by allowing that goodness that's already within you, folks, to emerge and to manifest in your life. If you look at people who are not even saved or whatever you want to call it, and you can look at them and see God in them, I'm telling you, that's what allows it to manifest in their life. It's not about trying to get God out there, to get inside here. One of the biggest lies that's being taught in the church today, in my opinion, is this lie of separation. Come on. Here's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. That's <laughs> what Ralph was preaching the other day. What we've been taught, and some of you have seen these booklets, these tracks during evangelism, is like this. God's out there, and we're over here. And what happens is that there's this huge chasm, there's this huge gap, right? Because you're separated from God. You guys know what I'm saying? And here's what happens. You're separated from God because of your sin. So there's this huge chasm, there's this bridge, but you're here, God's here. Now, here's the interesting thing. God loves you so much, He sends His one and only Son to die on the cross, so the cross is like right in the middle. You guys seen that? Because God's so nice. But here's the interesting thing is, you're still over here according to this gospel. So what you have to do is, in order to get to God, you have to climb these steps. You have to acknowledge, then you confess, and then you repent, and then you believe. Boom! You're with God. Folks, that is a lie. That is a lie. Folks, you were never separated from God. You know why? It's impossible. Let me ask you a simple question. Can you be in a place where God is not God is omnipresent, but He's not when you're messing up. 
without getting too technical here, folks, a lot of the stuff that we've been taught is rooted in Greek philosophy. It's rooted in dualism. See, because what we've been taught is that God is over here, you're over here because you're so filthy and dirty that the father couldn't even look at you. He couldn't even look at his own son. He had to turn his face away from his own son. But imagine that, folks. If God is so holy, he can't even look at you because of your sin, then why does the Bible say that Jesus became sin? Jesus could handle it, but the father doesn't have a good stomach. You know why your sin can't separate you from God? Because His love is greater. His love is greater. Do you think that every time you sin, you're back? Sorry, you're back with God? Let me tell, tell you, no matter where you're at, even if you're having a living hell, God is still there to help. But what people do is they try to get the God out there. Jesus, come into my heart as if He's not already there. Folks, the Bible says in the book of Colossians that Christ sustains all things. In Him, all things hold together. You cannot be separated from God, folks. There's this union that we've been taking into the life of God. Because you cannot live on your own, folks. If you were separated from God, how would you even survive? Unless there's one that's already sustaining you because you're already in Him. Are you guys okay? Some of your faces are like... <laughs> it's okay, you're still in Christ. <laughs> you're not separated from God if you don't like me. Folks, God's love is so big. So big. Don't worry, we'll be asking, opening up for questions later. Okay, so don't worry about that. But I want you to think about this. There's something called the cosmic Christ that I like discussing when I speak at different places. They limit Jesus so much in the Christian world. Jesus Christ, you guys, you, you know, you folks know that Christ is not his last name. It's a title. Before the historical Jesus who existed 2,000 years ago on planet Earth, before even he was there on planet Earth, there was the Christ. that in the beginning was the Word, and this Word is the one that created all things and is the one who sustains all things. Do you think that even if we didn't go out there into the streets, do you think that God's not there unless we go out there? God's already there because God's already everywhere. But the reason why we go out there is because the Bible doesn't say that we're called the body of Christians, we're called the body of Christ. And we are His hands. We are His feet. We are His mouth. We are His love. And just to trip you out a little bit, hopefully not to scare you, but I'm giving you some little history here. If you look at the early church, which a lot of Christians, they don't do that. They just listen to modern day theology that you hear on TV. Did you know that a lot of early church fathers, the well-respected ones, they believed in something called theosis or deification. What does that mean? They basically summed it up like this in some of their writings. God became man, so man might become God. Hmm. Josh, that's new age. Hmm. Folks, this was written in the early church. Now, what's really interesting is I'm not going to debate about what does that mean, right? Of how, how much are you like God? I'm not here to get into it, but what we cannot deny 
is that the Bible does say that we are partakers of the divine nature. We are co-creators with God. We are joint heirs with Christ. You have so much dominion. You have so much power. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to predict the future. You could create the future. You could make it happen. You know what I'm saying? That's what you can do with your words. That's what you could do with your thoughts. That's what you do because of your actions that are living it out and being expressed in your life. Don't be afraid of all these diseases that you see. It's just a name. And without getting too technical, your body is just energy, folks. You could just kind of manipulate it. <laughs> it's just an imbalance. But folks, I just want you to understand that, that even the Bible talks about. Because I've, I've heard people say, you know, I want to get closer and closer to God, or I sinned, I feel so far from God. Folks, you can't get far from God. The Bible says that you've been seated with Him in heavenly places. How close do you want to get? If you only knew that even when you screw up, folks, you're still in God's hands. You're not far. You can't get away from Him. He loves you that much. He's crazy. <laughs> he loves you so much. His love is so unconditional that He puts these labels on you that in a sense, you are so absorbed in God. They, they call it in the Eastern Orthodox Church a perichoresis where there's this divine dance where God invites you into this dance with Him, this relationship with Him, that it's not a religion. It's not about, hey, ask Jesus into your heart, now here's a bunch of rules. Folks, it's about waking up in this reality that you're already in. Let me, let me I don't know if I might throw you guys off a bit. I want to just open up my Bible for this one verse in Galatians chapter 1. Now this one has confused a lot of people because it doesn't fit in their paradigm. And in Galatians chapter 1, you guys know about the Apostle Paul. Who was Paul before? Saul. What did he do? He was a legalist. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was a killer, a persecutor of Christians. Right? Now here's an interesting verse. Passage in Galatians chapter 1. Where it says in verse 13. This is Paul. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of, the, of my fathers. But now check this out. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me, what does it say? He was pleased to reveal His Son in me even when he was the legalist, even when he was a persecutor of the church, folks. God was already in Paul even before he believed. How do you even think Paul got to that point of wanting to believe unless the Holy Spirit was already working in his heart? God's not out there, folks. He's already in here. All we're doing is in Acts chapter 26. Jesus, Jesus goes to Paul and says, I want you to go to the Gentiles. He doesn't tell Paul, Paul, I want you to go to these Gentiles and I want you to basically convert them, make sure they ask me to their heart, and then they're going to die and go to heaven. You know what he says? I want you to go to these Gentiles. I want you to what? Open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Not the kingdom of darkness. The devil's not that powerful. He doesn't have his own kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. 
What people do is when it's talking about darkness, it's about us who have believed the lies, the lies of separation, the lies that you're not good enough, the lies that God is angry at you, the lies that you have to earn God's acceptance and His approval. It's all lies. You're already accepted by God. It's crazy, man. In Acts 17, Paul is speaking to some philosophers. What does he say? In Him we live, we move, we have our being. Were those Christians? In Him we live, we move, we have our being. And are we all His offspring, children? He was speaking to pagans, folks, non-Christians. That's why when I started to have this revelation, I started to step out and be, because back in the day, folks, I gave people a certain identity because they weren't Christian. I would step out and be like, you know what, that guy's a good guy, but whatever, dude, he's not a child of God, he's going to hell, even though he has a better lifestyle than I do. <laughs> but I'm saved because I'm a Christian. I asked Jesus to my heart. Folks, when I started to get this revelation that everybody is already in Christ, I saw God in everybody. And the more that I see God in everybody, the more it starts to manifest in people's lives. Because you start to draw it out. Now, I wasn't meaning to talk on this right now. It just popped in my head. When was the last time you asked Adam into your heart as your personal condemner? Did anybody do that? In order to be affected by his sin, did you say, Adam, come into my heart? Now I'm a sinner now. It happened whether or not you believe. Now you're going to see a comparison. In Adam all die and are in condemnation, but in Christ is grace and righteousness. But so there's a comparison, there's a parallel, almost. Because it's in Adam all, all, many, many, but in Jesus Christ was much more. The work of Christ was much more, folks. He included all of humanity into himself and he gave everybody new life. That's not your job, that was his job. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, that God in his mercy caused us, caused to be born again. When? When you ask Jesus to your heart? When you say the sinner's prayer? No. God caused us to be born again through the resurrection. When He died and we're in Christ, we died. When He resurrected, we resurrected. When He ascended, we ascended. That's called the finished work of Jesus Christ. He said, it's finished. He doesn't say, it's finished until you believe. He says, it's finished. Believe the good news. The gospel begins with union, not separation, folks. The gospel is not to say, you know what? You're separated from God because of all your sins. No, the good news is, is to tell them that God is already there. He's always been there, even when you were a child. That's why all those times when you used to feel God's love, but then you grew up in religion, then God got farther and farther away because of all the lies that we've been taught. Your identity never changed, folks. You were in Christ even before you were in Adam. The Bible says in Ephesians, what Raphael was talking about the other day, that even before the foundation of the world, you were included in God and adopted already, even before you did anything. How horrible would that be, folks? Now, we lived in the Philippines, so I've been to some of the poorest places in the Philippines. It's called... Uh, it's like these huge trash, you know, heaps of trash. It's called Smoky Mountain. Now, I remember going, this really opened up my eyes. I remember going up to some of these kids. They have no parents. 
they're getting high because they're hungry. It kind of distracts them because they're, they're starving. Some of them are doing drugs, doing all these things. Their siblings have to take care. Some of them, they have to fend for themselves and eat from the trash. It's like huge high pieces of trash. That's how they live. Now what people have done is that they created a gospel where it's a conditional gospel in order to become. Imagine if I go up to one of these kids and I say, you know what? You're an orphan. Nobody wants you. I don't even want you. Folks, how do you think that's going to make the child feel? Is that love? Now imagine if I go up to another one of these kids that's living in the trash that have no parents, nobody. And I say, you know what? I love you if you love me back. I accept you, but not yet. Only if you accept me first. If you reject me, not only will I reject you, but I'm going to be angry at you the rest of your life. Folks, is that love? I'm just using real life examples, folks, that all of us could relate to. Of course that's not love. But here's the interesting thing. That's how many people describe God. God says, I love you if you love me back. I accept you only if you accept me into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. But if you don't, I don't accept you. You're not my son. If you reject me, not only will I reject you, but I'm going to reject you for the rest of your life and be very angry with you with all my wrath. That doesn't sound like a loving God. I'm telling you, folks, what, what true love is when you can go to one of these kids who are broken and lost and starving and say, I accept you. Even my wife and I were talking about one day, well, who knows if we'll adopt kids. Some people have, right? Because no one wanted them. That's not love, folks. Rejection is the worst thing in the world. What, everyone's felt rejected, whether you're playing sports or whatever, dating, whatever, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't feel very good, folks, to think that God will only accept you if you believe in Him just right. Here's the good news. The good news is that it's not about you receiving Christ. The good news is that Christ has already received you. And the good news is for us to finally wake up in this reality that you're already in the hands of a loving Father. Folks, is this making sense? Folks, you are accepted by God now, no matter what you do. Because like I said, all of our mistakes, they do not define you. God defines you in Jesus Christ. Some of you guys have some confused looks on your faces, man. <laughs> you know, I'm going to stop. Okay. And we're pretty good with time. So what I want to do for the next couple of minutes that I want to open up for some questions, okay? And I'm not here to debate, please. I'm not here to debate. Anyone have a question? Anyone have a question? Okay, there's a brother here. Well, I mean, I'll repeat the question. Is this true for those who have accepted Christ and for those who have not accepted Christ? My answer is yes. Folks, everything that I'm saying, I was giving you real-life examples of how you can accept a child without even them accepting you, even when they're babies. They can't even choose you. Uh, the question was, is it, all the stuff that I'm saying, is it true for those who have accepted Christ and those who haven't accepted Christ? 
And my answer is, God's acceptance of everybody is true. The question is whether or not you accept Christ. But Christ has accepted everybody in His Son. That's love. That's called unconditional love. It is not unconditional when He says, I don't accept you until you do this. <laughs> if that's the case, folks, then there's no such thing as loving your enemies. You should give an eye for an eye. But why would God command us to love unconditionally, but God can't even do that? So that's my answer, sir. Of what? Oh, perceive? Okay. Sure. Okay. Just. Basically, what he's saying, the idea of salvation, that the covenant is the same, yeah. the Christian world is about being saved from hell, yeah. and not about the religion. Sure. 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 Okay. So there's a whole issue of salvation. Now, who's saved, who's not saved? This is all a matter of semantics, folks. It's how you define it. Now, what I see a lot of within the evangelical or the traditional church is that I think the salvation, the way they define salvation is, in my opinion, is probably not correct. Because usually, like what Raphael was saying, I don't think it's all about you just die and go to heaven. Salvation is much bigger than that, right? Now, my understanding would be this. Let me ask you this question first. The Bible says that Jesus is a Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the Christians. It doesn't say that. Jesus is a Lamb of God to take away the sin of those who believe just right and repent of their sins. Oh wait, it doesn't say that either. What does it say, folks? Jesus Christ is a Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. God in His Son reconciled us to Himself when we believed and when we repented just right. It doesn't say that either. The Bible says in Romans that God reconciled us to Himself when we were still sinners, powerless, and enemies. And that we were only enemies in our minds. God never changed. We change. So what's this whole idea? Can you call God the Savior of the world? And it doesn't affect anybody except those few who believe just right and the majority is going to burn. I want you to think about this. 1 Timothy 4.10. I know this is kind of a hot topic, folks. Okay? 1 Timothy 4.10 says this, God is a Savior of all men to those who believe. It doesn't say that either, folks. God is a Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Why? Because there's this objective reality that Christ has saved the whole world. That's why he said, it is finished, folks. I can objectively love and accept my wife unconditionally, even if she doesn't believe it. I can objectively love and accept her. But if she does not believe it, it's not going to affect her life. She's not, she has to realize that. But her, with her not believing in my love for her does not negate the fact that I accepted her already. 
So there's this objective reality that God has saved the whole world, but subjectively, people are not experiencing it. That's why Jesus told Paul, go to the Gentiles and open up their eyes. For in Him we live, we move. For in Him we live, we move, we have our being. Everybody is already in Christ. He's the last Adam. And that's why it says His work was much more. But people just don't know it yet. So Josh, if everybody's saved, then why go out there? Because look how many Christians don't even know the good news. They don't even know that they're included in God until they do certain works. The good news is to tell people you're included. The good news is not to tell people you don't get in until you do all these steps. And sometimes we don't even know how if we're doing the steps just right. If you believe just right, because sometimes we believe and sometimes we don't believe. Folks, but what my wife was saying the other day, even if we try to let go of God, God never let us go. Never, folks. That's the heart of God. You can play around with all the semantics and all the theology, folks, but you know what love is when you love your child. Even if they're stinking brat, you still love them. Even if, even if you, the father and the two sons, one ran off and squandered his wealth. The other son, he told the son who was obedient, everything that I have is yours, but your other brother, he's alive. And he gave him a part, but he was always his son. Even if you do all the stupid crap and you go out there, you're still the son of your parents. It's whether or not you can accept the love of your parents that changes your life. Folks, let's not have this disconnect of what we know how to love people, but God's love is totally different. That doesn't make any sense. I know how to love like this, but God's love is different. Folks, if God's love is totally different from ours, then how would we even know what love is? The Bible says that God is love, and we will love others the way God loves us. But if God loves us conditionally, and will not accept us until we accept Him, then you better not love your children until they obey you first. And you know that's not always going to happen, right? You know what I'm saying? Now, folks, I'm sorry. I know I'm getting, I'm getting pumped up. I'm sorry, okay? I know this is new for some people. Just keep asking questions, okay? All right. Can you hear me? Sure. Loud and clear. All right. <laughs> Let's just move aside from... I want to go back to Jesus. Sure. Across. Sure. I want to move aside from the mindset that says God couldn't look at Jesus on the cross for the sin. I want to incorporate an understanding that we're on this foundation where we understand things only in a limited sure. realm. Sure. Everything is limited. Sure. So, based on that, how would you define? The love of God when it comes to two things. Looking at Jesus and what he had to endure the night before he was crucified. Okay. And looking at God's relationship with Jews. Just defining the love of God through those two experiences. Okay. Between Judas and Jesus, he said? God's relationship between Judas and God's relationship with Yeah, just how I saw his love towards yeah. Jesus, his love towards Judas. Sure. It's the same. God didn't love his son more <laughs> than Judas. It's whether or not Judas understood the love of God. But God's love was you know, folks, it's funny because I grew up in the charismatic scene. They're always talking about favor. I have favor. I walk into a room. I had God's favor, but the other people had it because they're not Christian. Folks, the Bible says that God plays no favorites. And if God is love, the Bible even says that love has no favorites either. But we tend to think that God will treat people differently according to His love. Folks, God's love is the same 
for everybody. I'm not talking about the, I'm talking about the relationship, right? When it comes to God, God's love is the same. There's that objective reality. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not talking about whether or not, you know, there are people who don't receive it. That's different. But in my understanding of the gospel, the gospel says that they're already in, whether they know it or not. Just like you could do that with your own child. Folks, when we have these analogies, you can't just break it down and say, well, we understand what love is in this reality, but then God's love is different. Like I said, you can't, you're, you're disconnecting. You know how to love because God's love is already there. Well, I was really interested in this. Okay. Sure. We could talk later. Let's have lunch. That is true. The real thrust of the question was about what Jesus had to endure the night before he was crucified. The love of God being explained looking at that situation. Sure, sure. Um, what, you mean when he was like on the mountain and he was bleeding and all that? The whole deal? Oh, okay. Now Jesus, so Jesus, why, why did Jesus go through all that stuff the night before of his crucifixion? Okay, you guys heard this question? He was sweating blood and doing all these things. He, you know why Jesus did all that stuff? It wasn't because the Father demanded it, it's because Jesus loves us. Because that's what love does. Love lays down your life freely. He wasn't going to die in order to appease the Father or to, because a payment was needed. No. Just like any person who's willing to lay down his life because he's a true friend. But what we like to do in Christian theology, we create a technology with it. There's a mechanics. What does this mean? What does that mean? What, it's just love. God laid down his life through his son because he loves you even to the point where they killed him. He says, you guys are murderers. You murdered him on the cross. It wasn't the Father, as some Christians preach. They called you murderers during their day in that first century. Folks, he went through all that because just like me as a missionary, when I went to the Philippines, now I didn't have guns point to my head. I did go to China. I went to the underground church. I did all that stuff. But would I lay down my life for what I believe? Yeah. But what Jesus did was much greater because he absorbed all of humanity into himself, buried everyone, and gave everybody new life. Because that's what love does. He's saying, no matter what I have to go through, I will share, tell everybody about this love of the Father. Folks, it's interesting because we like to have these cliches about it's all about, you know, we, it's not about religion, it's all about relationship. Then this should make sense because that's what love does. It's unconditional. But when I start messing around with some theology, our practical way that we live is so detached from what we're taught. Folks, like I said, he died because he loves us, plain and simple. I'm not going to get into the mechanics of it. It's love. Just like I laid down my life for my wife. I know she would do the same for me. And then I told her if she dies, I'll raise her up from the dead. No, I'm serious, folks. Because God's about life and grace and love, not condemnation or guilt. Oh, we're past time. I'll leave it up to Pete because I went past my time. Okay. Sorry, Pete. I didn't know I was going to open up to this. Uh, sure, sure. Sure. 
Like, when we put these conferences together, I tell people that you know, we all come to you. And uh, obviously, Joshua's speaking his heart through the knees. And I'm not against what he's saying. Sure. Any means. Sure. But there's always a possibility that you could be wrong. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I'm aware of that. And here's what I tell people that tell me that. No, 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 right? No. Okay. If you are wrong, that's when the issue is. Sure. And even if I'm wrong, I could be wrong. Yep. The only difference is if I'm not wrong, people won't go to hell. If you're wrong, people will go to hell. Sure. I love you. I'm not against what you're teaching. Sure. Because the Holy Spirit will lead us all to truth. Right. I'm not here to question you. I'm not here to make you look stupid by any means. Sure. I'm here to love you because this is what I teach. I teach unity in Christ. That's why I accept you as my brother and I love you and help you and dance with you and everything. You are my brother. Sure. But there's always a responsibility of the gospel to preach it. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying sure. What I'm saying is we can always ask questions. Always can ask questions and we're doing the things to get the answers that we want. And so I'm not questioning Joshua Tom what we're saying. Not by any means. What I'm saying is there's always the truth beyond the truth that we think is true. And that's what he's teaching. He says there's a greater truth than what we think is true. Yeah. So when you hear Joshua Tongo, don't accept him as true. Sure. Accept his message, receive it, and speak to the truth. Which sure. is Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You will reveal the truth. Sure. So when I say, could you be wrong? I could be wrong. Sure. I know. I came here for the buffalo wings. No, sure. Yeah, <laughs> we have a responsibility to Holy Spirit, regardless of the teachings that we have. Sure. That's all I want to do. Sure, sure. Thank you, Pete. And if I could just respond real quick so there's not a misunderstanding of what was going on. Like I said, this does not negate preaching the gospel. I love sharing the good news to people, no matter who you are. If you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim. My, my wife grew up in Kuwait her whole life. Her context was Muslims. They were some of the most loving people. God does not break people up into religions, folks. He looks at people as humanity. People have created religion, folks. It's my religion versus yours. And it's funny because we claim Christianity. Look how divided we are. 30,000 plus denominations. Folks, it's not about our, it's Christianity. It's not Christianity. It's Christ. I'm preaching Christ. Now, what I shared to a sister yesterday as one of my favorites, you'll be shocked of who this was, is that he was, there was this Baptist missionary who went to China. Then he goes to this place in China and he starts ministering to a Buddhist monk. And as he's ministering to this Buddhist monk, of course, this Buddhist monk's not saved. He's not Christian. He doesn't have Christ, right? So he's sharing to this Buddhist monk. And he opens up his Bible, starts telling about the ways of Jesus. And all of a sudden, as he's sharing, this Buddhist monk starts weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. So what does a Baptist missionary guy do? He says, all right, do you want to accept Christ now? You know what the Buddhist monk said? Accept him. I already know him. You just told me his name. And you told me about his death. 
And you told me about the resurrection. And as you were speaking, I could hear His Spirit within me saying, He's speaking about me, He's speaking about me, He's speaking about me. Folks, God is alive and well in many places and in many people we can't even imagine, folks. We need to stop having this us versus them mentality. We're saved, they're not. We're going to heaven, they're not. You don't know. This is the cosmic Christ who sustains all things. And the Bible says that He is not far from anybody. And the reason why I share the good news is to help clarify the confusion that people have to tell them that you are loved and accepted by God. Did you know that? No matter what, even if you grew up in Islamic culture like my wife did, that God doesn't see religion. He looks at humanity. Look at all the Christians that are violent. but They're saved. It's people that God is in. He's interested in their heart. He doesn't give a rip about denominations, folks. He's looking at your heart. And I could be wrong, as Pete was saying. And for those people who like saying that to me, I also say, well, at the same time, you could be wrong too. And once again, I've never been so zealous. My wife sees me share to people all the time. I missed a service yesterday because I couldn't help share the good news to someone earlier yesterday during the service. Because my heart is to help people see the goodness of God. Does your gospel make Jesus look small? Or does it make him look very big? That he has affected the whole world through the cross. And I go, I went to the Philippines, folks, and I have this message. Why go there? Because many of them, they don't know the heart of the Father. They grew up in religion. So I preach the good news. I preach the good news to Christians because they don't know. So this does not negate preaching. But I'm telling you, when you know that you're accepted and you experience the love of the Father, it just overflows out of you and you can't help but tell somebody, hey, did you know you're accepted by God too? That God's not interested in religion, He's just interested in your heart? And did you know that all those times when you were lonely and you heard those voices in your head as a child of encouraging, that was God. He was already there in your heart. We need to get out of our little Christian subcultures and start loving on people before we condemn a Muslim to hell. Find out, wait until they become your best friend. This is not hardcore theology. This is just simple love. You don't have to be a theologian to ask, can you accept a child? Okay, uh, that lady in the back. This is more of a comment, but oh, sure. there's another spiritual teacher that already has been, you know, in for quite some time. Okay. At Bartoli, okay. He teaches the, along the same lines, you know, what you're saying. Sure. And what I want to say is, you know, if you're in touch with the Holy Spirit, sure. if the Holy Spirit, if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you know, then let your experience, sure. you know, that's what I do. I let my experience be the word that I can put out. Sure. You know, I can tell of your experience with the Holy Spirit, not, you know, because you told me so. Sure. But what I can really believe in, what I can really tell is my experience sure. with the Holy Spirit. Sure. You know, and I can believe that this message that you're teaching is exactly what Jesus
to tell you that I want you to love one another. Mm-hmm. That I love you. Mm-hmm. There's no other commandment. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I believe what you're saying. Okay. This is the highest, uh, this is the best uh, part of this conference that I've ever seen so far because to me it's the highest truth that I've heard. And God bless you. Thank you. Okay, last question. God's love is unconditional for the whole world. And Jesus' death at the cross forgave us of every sin, past, present, and future. That's right. No, ask John for this question. Okay. I want to make this clear to everybody, and I'm asking you, are you saying that everybody is already saved in Jesus Christ, that no one has a sinful nature anymore, and they do not need to be born again? Is that what you're saying? You have to define every single one of those terms, born again, sinful nature, and saved, before I respond. In Adam, we all inherited a sinful nature, and not have a choice in that. In Jesus Christ, the provision has been made sure. for every person to be have that nature change, Romans 6, 6. If anyone knowing this, our old man was crucified in Christ, the provision was made. But do I have to make the willful decision to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior in order for that nature to be changed? Or is that an automatic thing? So everybody on the face of this earth is automatically saved. They don't have to make a willful decision. Saved means what, though? I'm still not clear saved what saved. Saved and born again are the same thing. Before the cross, people could be saved, but they could not, their nature could not be changed because when Abraham and all of those people died, they could not go into heaven. They went into paradise in Abraham's bosom because Christ did not pay the price. Now, on this side of the cross, the words saved and born again are the same. They mean the same because it is a nature change. So my question is, are you saying that everybody's nature is already changed? They are already born again, irrespective of what their belief is. Okay. Now I have to answer these with questions, though, because it's still a semantical issue. To me, there's a difference because salvation is just sozo in the Greek. It's referring to healing, but typically we refer to salvation as you're you're going to heaven, or Christ is inside of you now. When people get healed, they are saved. When people are experiencing the life of Christ, they are saved. They're experiencing this objective reality of salvation. That's how I'm defining it. So I, I, the, 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 the Western coast, what we define salvation, sure. is not that my body was healed or I was healed from the soul. Salvation is defined as, as I, I was a sinner. I, I was lost. I was on my way to hell. I was corrupted. I was corrupt nature. I was outside of God, outside of Christ. I was lost. I didn't know God. I was not redeemed. I was, I was lost. Salvation to us is Jesus. Receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Changing our nature. We've accepted Him. He's accepted us. That's what, that's what we're saying. Salvation. Not I got healed in my body. That's what. I want to answer. Yeah. Salvation. Salvation. Please. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I want to bridge the two gaps. Okay, this is how I understand both sides, alright? Prodigal son, the father has extended forgiveness to the son, even though the son was had never received it, in a sense, right? The moment the son had sinned, he was already forgiven. Do we believe that? Right? From the father's perspective, he was already forgiven. In the father's perspective, that's still my son. The son did not experience the relationship and the benefits of being in the family because he did not receive it. But was it already extended to him? Yes. Josh is saying, correct me if I'm wrong, that Jesus and the Father has already extended salvation to everyone. In that sense, they are saved. Right? In that sense, from the Father's But in the person's, the person's experience, if they receive it and come back to the Father, they experience the benefit of the kingdom. That is, they have salvation. But they have, if they don't receive it, they don't receive it. But from the Father's perspective, they are forgiven. They are reconciled from the Father's perspective, but they don't experience reconciliation until they come to Him. Ah, thanks. Right? Yeah. Like, for example, for example, real quick. Oh, sure. Please give him the right because it's exactly right with the whole Listen, I'm not, I'm not here to debate. I just wanted to ask sure, that. Sure, sure. Are you saying that everybody is automatically saved and their nature is already changed in Christ without them making a vocal decision? Sure, but here's the difficulty, Joe, because when you ask a question about the whole nature, that's a loaded word. So I'd have to break it down. Right, so I think it would be unfair for me because like when people demand answers, yes or no or this, that's not fair to me in my opinion because I don't have to break it down because it's, it's a huge paradigm shift. How do we define nature? Does that mean that you're always doing bad? Or does that mean that you sin sometimes? When you have no sinful nature, does that mean that you never sin? Does it mean that you don't have the power to sin? There's all these things that we have to go through so I feel like I can't answer that right now because I think that would be unfair for me to just say yes or no. So if you would like to discuss with this more, I'm more than willing. Right? Sure. Sure. We're not going to make this a list. Put Joshua on the pedestal. This is happening. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Sure. I sent out letters and emails to people to strictly stay on identity. And we need to move it a little bit. That's okay. We're all on it. Sure. But the second possibility is to not make this about. Yeah. Go out to him, talk to him. Um, we're not all where we need to be. We're still around. I'm not saying Joshua's not where he needs to be. What I'm saying is, this is a conference for unity. And that's why I'm not to touch on certain subjects when we're talking about unity because it creates division. So, what we're going to do right now is we're yeah. going to break for lunch, honor Joshua Tom with the speakers of Man of God like I do. Thanks, bro. Appreciate that. Good job. <laughs> I want to let you guys know something. Thanks, you need to see this. You did a good job. Okay? Uh, you, you, you have to see this. You guys have to see this. I oh, believe it's all the opposite of what he believes. But we don't have to agree on everything. But here's the thing. And this is what I told people when I invited Joshua. Because I've known Joshua for years. 
I believe God sees everybody saved in his eyes, but it's, I believe that they, they have a responsibility to come to Christ. That's what I believe. I'm not saying, I'm not saying cheer me on, because that's just showing you agree with me. I'm not trying to do that. I'm saying the same thing, though. That's what I'm saying. the same thing. But here's what I'm getting at. Let's not make this about a heaven and hell issue. You know, like, well, you know, heaven and hell issue. Let's make this about growing in Christ. Okay? We're already Christians here. Are we Christians here? Yeah. Okay, then, then, then this debate shouldn't be going on. Amen. Seriously. Well, I love my own opinion. Because <laughs> we're Christians here. We should be out there bringing the lost in here. Okay, if you guys want to. If you guys want to have at it in each other, I'm going to get some gloves. You guys can have at it. You can do whatever you want, but when it comes to the lost, we need to bring them to Christ. So when I invited Joshua, because I admire him as a man of God, I, I followed him. I know what he's about. We may not agree on everything, but one thing we do agree on is that Jesus is Lord. Okay? Pete, so please. Can I say one more thing? It's yes. really quick. It's really quick. Yes. I love Pete, okay? So we're, we're not fighting. <laughs> I just get really into it. You know, when he said the word lost, it just struck a chord with me. If someone is lost, what does that imply? That you have a home. And so when we look at a lot of people as lost, it's because they have a home. And they're already included in the heart of the Father. So we're, I'm on the same page, bro. Hello, bro. You know what I'm saying? So it's all good. I love him. When I, when I say this, some things we want to agree on, it's just weird, man. Come on. Yeah. It's just weird. Oh, man. There's some things me and my wife want to agree on. Come on. Let's be real here. I don't need to agree with you to love you. That's right. If you Straight did, up. that's not love. That's right. <laughs> it's not love. That's right. Okay? So let's not make this about what I believe. Okay? What I believe has nothing to do with what Jesus did. He still does. He still is. He still exists. He still does everything he says. Regardless of what I believe, that's who he is. Okay? So guys. That's you got a lot of questions, Tom. I'm sorry for you, man. It's okay. <laughs> I'm going back to California. Please try to speak to what you're talking about because I've done seminars, man. We were in North Carolina and the whole church attacked us. Remember that? Who was with us? Brandon. Brandon Lee. Eric Wilding was with me. Thomas was supposed to come. I'm glad he did it. If he came, we'd be fighting everybody. We had a whole church. Because I said, look, God loves sinners, man. We're the Bible Belt. And they're like, I ain't putting my hand on a sinner. I have to do know what a sinner. And I'm like, you are crazy talking like that. And it was the whole church. I mean, it got yeah. so bad that I had to just literally start praying in tongues while everybody was fighting. And it got so quiet you could hear a pin drop. Remember that? It just got real quiet. We said, we need to bring order, man. In the name of Jesus. And so I'm bringing order right now in the hearts of men. Huh? Okay. Turner is very impressed. Right. Uh, <laughs> he's right. Amazing things on identity, man. <laughs> Best teachings I've ever heard on identity, man. That's why he's here. And he's going to speak again. Guard your hearts. <laughs> Don't feel offended when you hear something you may not agree with. Okay? Because five years ago, I didn't even believe in healing. Okay, I was bad at people who laid hands. You guys are liars. Look at me now. Okay, God will do a 180 on you. Okay, 
So I'm not saying he's wrong, I'm not saying I'm wrong, you're right, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have a common denominator, common ground, in the name of Jesus. That's why we're putting these on. And I'm going to invite him to Mexico to go with us. And I'm going to talk with him. He's going to learn from this. We're all going to learn from this. Right? I'm going to learn from this. We're all going to learn. Right? Tammy Thomas and, and Joshua in the same room, I thought we were going to be fighting. <laughs> the way they act. You know? That's crazy. But we're brothers, man. I don't, I don't put up with you. I love you because we're family. Okay? I love Thomas. He went to my house. We got into an argument right in my living room. But look, he's here. Because we love each other, man. Thomas, he's, he's a hoop, man. But just because we may see different on certain things, it doesn't mean I don't love him. It doesn't mean I don't love him. I love the guy. I'll, I'll lay my life down for him. I'll lay my life down for Joshua. I'll lay my life down for anybody who stands for the gospel. Regardless. I've had a number of theological debates with Pete, but I still love him. Amen, <laughs> <laughs> amen. I don't like to be labeled as anything. I tell people, I'm not this, I'm not that. I'm, I, I preach Jesus, and that's it. Okay? You can add or take away whatever you want, but when I stand before Christ, I want to say, you preach me, you talked about me, and that's all you talked about. I say, hey, you ain't nothing else. And that's all I talk about. Paul said, I don't, I don't choose anything except Jesus being crucified. Paul said, you in all things to all people. You want to know why? Because he was, he was proclaiming Jesus. That's why he was all things to all people. Because he was speaking Christ. He said, I'm a prisoner in Christ. He was letting himself come out. He was only letting Christ come out. And so that's what all this is about, guys. We're going to go eat. And I'm going to sit as far away as Tomo because he's going to get invaded by everybody in the questions. And I want to eat. <laughs> 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 right, well, let's bring you lunch, man. Right. I want to give you a hug. Thanks.